Well, we are 10 days into 2020, gang, and we're off to just a horrible start. God, the whole world is going up in flames, literally. Let me tell you what we got coming up today on the sidebar. We're going to start by talking a bit about what's going on in Iran and Iraq and its impact on Israel. And I've got Dylan Hosier from the Israeli American Civic Action Network and uh, also joining him, uh, a, a prominent uh, member of the, the journalist here in town, Iranian journalist, uh, Carmel Melamed. Uh, so we'll have that point of view as well. I'm going to be talking a bit about what the heck is going on in the Middle East and how do we keep Donald Trump's hands off of it. Uh, it's just a tinderbox. So we'll talk that a little bit about that. And then uh, Ken Howard is coming back. He's a psychotherapist. We've had him on the show a few times. We've had a rash of LGBT suicides at the end of the last year. And, you know, I know the holidays can be depressing for a lot of people, but we, we lost some really good people. And I lost a couple of friends. And I'm like, why? Why does this have to happen? So I saw Ken at the gym. I said, Ken, we need to talk about this. So he's going to come in and talk a bit about suicidal ideation and what's at the root of it and what we can do to prevent it from happening and not lose any more loved ones, please. And then uh, the Women's March is coming up January the 18th. Fourth annual Women's March started as a protest of the election of Donald Trump, now in its fourth year. So we've got Emiliana Guarneca coming in from the Women's March to talk about why the marches are still needed and um, what's happening specifically, at least here in this town in Los Angeles. And then finally, the very last uh, part of our show, we've got two Aussies coming in to talk about the terrible wildfires that are going on in Australia right now and the reliefs that are happening all over the world to help uh, deal with the fallout from the Australian wildfires. So we're going to have a little bit of a geo-focus today, gang. We're going to go from Iran, Iraq, and Israel all the way to down under and back uh, talking about all these issues. So, Jason... What's that, going on? That's the story for today. You yeah. went you went out and got our first two guests, so we're going to go ahead and bring them on right. early. We've got Dylan Hosier here from the Israeli American Civic Action Network. There you go. And also we've got uh, Carmel Melamed here. He he writes for many journals. Uh, Iranian member of the Iranian community, uh, Iranian Jewish community, who's here to talk as well about what's happening in the Middle East. Welcome, guys. Welcome, Dylan. Thank always you. nice to have you, you back. Glad to be back. Nice to meet you <laughs> officially. Can you hear, you hear okay in your headphones there? Okay. All right. So guys, I, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I don't even know where to start this conversation. That's okay. I know one. where I want. I know where I want to focus because my primary concern is the safety of Israel a longtime supporter of Israel. I worry about Israel. And it just seems to me that everything that's happening right now runs the risk of things becoming worse for the state of Israel rather than better. So let's put Israel and I think uh, the, the world's Jewish community in context a little bit. Um, so look, when you look at Israel and just the Arab world, I know we're talking about I Iran, but take just the Arab world. Israel is um, in a very small sliver of land in the Middle East. Uh, uh, compared to the Arab world, um, the population of the Arab world is 40 times the size of Israel. Um, if you look, take the land mass, the, it's 500 times the size of Israel. Um, so Israel has always been a very precarious situation vis-a-vis -vis just the Arab world. Add the Persian part of that. Uh, the, the Iranian population is 10 times the size of Israel. Um, I think I think the land mass is probably around 100 times the size of Israel. Um, so Israel is, is in a very uh, precarious spot, as you've, as you've said. And um, when the Iranian regime says it wants to wipe Israel off the map, I think that's a, a, a serious concern, especially when you bear in mind that the global population of Jews, there are more Mormons in the world than there are Jews. Uh, there are about um, 7 million Jews in Israel and, and maybe about the same here in the United States, maybe a little bit less. Um, so that's a, that's a population that's at risk. That's a, a real global minority. And so when we have a, um, a kind of actor like Soleimani who engages in the kind of global terrorism that he's engaged in, it's a very difficult situation. I think it's a difficult decision to make. Um, I would say that uh, you, you've heard the uh, state of Israel say that they're pleased that Soleimani is off the battlefield. Um, I, I would uh, definitely understand that perspective, but I also understand that when you look at global Jewry, there is concern about terror attacks being carried out by Iranian agents or Iranian um, surrogates around the world, um, especially here in the United States. I also want to add just, you know, we've seen a, a big spike in anti-Semitism here in the United States, um, especially on the East Coast. Uh, there are a lot of Jews who are saying, 
if if America is not safe for Jews, then I'm thinking about going back to Israel. And so that this whole Iran part of the equation plays a role in that too. Because if if look if America isn't safe for Jews. Uh, I would tend to say that um, Israel is not safe in the world. And if we have to deal with a belligerent Iran in that equation, I think that really turns things on its head. So I think it's a, as you say, it's a tough situation. And that's kind of um, how we're looking at it from the Israeli perspective and the Jewish perspective. Carmel, you want to hop in the conversation here with us? I don't know where to start from. I said the same thing. I said the same thing. Exactly. The Iranian regime is basically a criminal mafia type of uh, entity. Um, The people of Iran are being held hostage, unfortunately, and criminal thug murderers like Soleimani have been slaughtering them. Um, Last month we saw thousands of Iranians in hundreds of cities that were basically mowed down by the IRGC, which Soleimani was a part of. So the people of Iran have no love for this man. What you saw on television was a charade. It was a show. It was a production. Um, In reality, the people were celebrating. Um, There were tweets. There were social media messages in Iran saying, we're happy this guy's gone. He was our oppressor. He's a part of this oppressive regime. And they're actually thanking President Trump for taking this guy out. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, the regime has the upper hand and they're trying to project this as, you know, he was a martyr. He was beloved. He was not at all. And um, eventually, you know, they're going to have to answer to this Iranian population. When that will happen, I don't know. Well, I've got questions for both of you on the points you're making. When we come back after this commercial break, gang, we'll continue our talk. Dylan Hosier and Carmel Melamed here on Channel Q. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast let's see if you know what that is dylan you don't know what that is i did this to combine my heritage with your heritage because that is a song by sephardic jewry a spanish spaniard jews uh called concha mia nice yes the oldest synagogue in europe is in spain i don't know if you knew that i did not know okay now you learned something on the sidebar gang welcome back we are talking to carmel melamed and dylan hosier uh today about the situation in iran and iraq and uh 
what's happening and impact on Israel. And I, so, guys, I'm going to do a little pushback because why not? <laughs> I can do a little pushback. Uh, Qassam uh, Soleimani was a bad man. We we all know that. But the United States has had ample opportunity for the last 15, 16 years to take him out at any time. But neither George W. Bush or President Obama decided to do that because of the fear of the collateral consequences that could occur worldwide. So instead, they did restraint. Now he's out, and and now we're starting to see some of those collateral consequences in play. It's only been a week. Not sure where it's going, but uh, at least in Iran. Now we have what appears to be a unified Iran. Prior to the assassination, I would say that people were there questioning the government. We saw people in the streets questioning the government. Now it seems like there are many more millions of people in the streets protesting the United States rather than their own government. We've got Iraq, you know, which is primarily Sunni uh, rather than Shiite in Iran. And, and Iraq basically saying U.S. out. The parliament has voted to kick the United States out, thereby leaving a base. And possibly providing a land bridge for Iran to the sea. So, I mean, I, there's a lot of geopolitical forces that seem to be in play now that I don't really know where it's going to where it's going to end. So, worth the risk or if I could please you know, respectfully yeah. disagree with you, uh, that's John. I, yes. Um, I, I do not think that the Iranian people that you're seeing on television or um, online are rallying behind the regime. Um, this is a propaganda show, um, especially with the Soleimani funeral. The Iranian regime bust in uh, Shiite supporters from Afghanistan, from Iraq, from Syria, to make the appearance that millions were in the streets uh, supporting you know, the regime and they're rallying behind the regime, when in reality, the, the people of Iran have taken to social media and other venues and said, this is not us. This is the regime putting some kind of a facade. We hate them. We are opposed to this regime. And we actually want the help of the international community on a human rights basis to give us a voice, to give us some opportunity to have some kind of freedoms. So I don't think that the people of Iran are supporting uh, the regime after Soleimani was taken out because the regime has been so brutal in the last year and a half toward the people. Um, just a quick tidbit, uh, Tehran itself has a population of 8 million. And the regime's propagandists came out and said uh, 1 million people showed up in Tehran for the funeral of Soleimani. Okay, well what about the other 7 million if he's so popular, if he was so great, why were, why, where were the other 7 million people? Um, unfortunately, those that were paraded out were either regime supporters or they were average Iranians that were terrified. The regime's thugs had come out and said, if you don't get out on the streets in front of the cameras, we will imprison you, we will kill you, we will do things to your family. I kind of... Um, Compare it to the North Korean totalitarian regime. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but a few years back, you had Kim Jong-il, uh, the dictator who died. And you had North Koreans in the street. They were crying. It was this whole stage production. So I think we need to kind of look at the whole situation in Iran with a little bit of skepticism and not believe what you see on TV. Because it kind of, it, it, it's a propaganda show by the regime. I, you know, I, I understand that. I don't know if they were protesting necessarily in favor of the regime. The protesters seemed to be against the United States. That that was the message that I was getting from the protesters. Not necessarily that they support what's there, but that the United States was now their enemy. And, and we at least know since the 70s, since the Shah was overthrown, that the United States and Iran have been pushing up against each other now for a good 40 years plus. So I, I'm just wondering where is it going next? And specifically, let me just, and then I'll, open, I'll let you speak. Specifically, uh, uh, Tehran told the United States, if you don't back off Donald Trump, we are going to bomb cities. We're going to hez send Hezbollah down from Lebanon into Israel and take out Israeli cities. And that's what I worry about is that the, the consequences potentially could be uh, placed upon Israel or Iraqis and obviously innocent people in Iran and Iraq and Lebanon and all throughout the Middle East. And that's what, that's what upsets me so much. 
It's absolutely a possibility. I cannot say for certain that the regime will not go out and bomb these other cities and Israel and whatnot. Um, I think a little bit of it is bluster from the regime. Um, if you look at their situation, they're in a dire um, stage right now. Economically, they're on the verge of collapse. They have triple-digit inflation. Uh, the people are in the streets protesting a lack of freedom, a lack of economic opportunities. So they're afraid of internal strife. Um, and on top of that, you have a lot of the Arab street, people in Iraq, people in Lebanon saying, Iran, an Iranian regime, get the hell out of our country. So the regime right now is, there's a lot of bravado. They're saying, you know, we can do this, we can do that. But I think in the back of their minds, they're very frightened because they don't want to lose power. And they have to worry about internal issues. Um, so it is a possibility. Could they lash out? Absolutely. But I think that cooler heads within the regime will prevail. And eventually, they may not, you know, strike because they know that what the consequences will be internally and then also from America or from, from Israel. Yeah. So, look, the way I see this is um, we have two kinds of foreign policy uh, perspectives at odds with one another. One is kind of the what has been the status quo over the past few administrations, which is let's not push too hard, let's not take action like Trump did with Soleimani. Um, the problem with that approach is that it allows Iran to kind of always walk up to the edge, always walk up to a line, which that line seems to be moving, um, in order for them to do things like progress their nuclear program. The nuclear deal um, in and of itself kind of allowed them, it put them in a position of control where they said, look, we can engage in these um, you know, global terrorist attacks or we can um, engage in other bad behavior around the world and don't do anything to us because if you do, we're going to pull out of the deal. We're going to start enriching that, that uranium again. So Iran, to, to a certain extent, had a gun to the world's head, um, the global community's head, and it allowed them to engage in activity. That's that's kind of one perspective. The other perspective is that, that Trump says, look, the system, that system, the way that that the international community is, is organized isn't working and we're going to kind of disrupt things a little bit and um, I think that that is I guess we could call that the Trump doctrine <laughs> if that form of disruption um, to take out Soleimani and we'll see what the outcome will be um, I, I, I tend to agree with um, uh, Carmel that we may see uh, actions in Israel or, or in other uh, places of the world around the world um, I think though that uh, Israel in and of itself um, I think they're prepared for this they've been prepared for it um, as I mentioned they're in a very precarious situation in the world. Um, luckily, there's phenomenal um, elected officials here in this country that, that support um, Israel and their right to uh, self-defense. Um, just here in California, as a matter of fact, Representative Ted Lieu has um, been a, a major uh, uh, supporter of a new technology that was just announced this week where Israel will actually be able to use directed energy to shoot ballistic missiles out of the air. No, no more uh, firing missiles to hit missiles, but just laser light to, to blow up energy, uh, blow up uh, missiles in the air. So um, they have great technology there. Um, so we'll see how things play out um, in, in that part of the world. One thing that does concern me, I will say, is that when you have people like um, Mike Lee from Utah, uh, coming out and, and being uh, uh, strongly opposed to the briefing that he got, uh, or even Matt Getz from uh, Florida coming out and voting for the resolution yesterday, I think that puts the Trump uh, strategy in a in a different uh, light and different position. So we'll we'll see <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, you know I think that uh, Iraq historically has always been the counterweight to Iran. Yep. And, and when the United States took out Saddam Hussein, That's right. uh, removed the yep. counterbalance to Iran. And, and unfortunately, now Iran has been allowed to flourish. 100%. And so we're now in this situation, at least it appears to me, where we have a, a democracy, sort of, set up in Iraq, which is now voting as through its parliamentary representatives to get rid of the United States. We had something of a democracy with the regime. You may disagree, but at least something that appeared to be like a democracy. And sometimes democracies won't agree with the United States necessarily. And then that, that's what worries me. Is that we're, I think sometimes we, we, we are playing a very bad game of checkers. <laughs> like, you hit, we'll hit you back. You hit, we'll hit you back. And I want people to play chess <laughs> for the long term. we got to go to commercial. But when we come back, we'll continue our discussion here with Carmel Melamed and Dillian Hosier on the State of Israel here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Of course, that's John Lennon's uh, Give Peace a Chance. That wasn't Israeli music. I, I lied. I told you in the break I, had, I only had one Israeli song. Then I had to bring in John and Yoko. All right, gang. We are talking with Carmel Melamed, who's an Iranian uh, journalist here in Los Angeles, and Dylan Hosier from the Israeli American Civic Action Network about the state of Israel and what's happening. Let me let me just because this is the last segment we're going to have with you guys. Um, right now, it appears to me that Syria is cuddling up real close with the Russians. And it appears to me that Iraq is kind of unmoored at the moment. Not sure where they're going. We'll see. Hopefully they end up keeping their relationship with the United States going. And Iran is clearly hostile to everybody. So in terms of sort of the geopolitics in play, it seems to me like Russia is benefiting from all the chaos and everybody else is not. I don't know if I'd put it in that in that sense. I I, uh, I think Russia benefits to a certain extent, maybe, um, but I, I think the greater um, analysis or the greater conclusion to take away from all of this is that as a result of Iran's attempt at Islamic imperialism in the region, you've actually got a situation where Israel and the Gulf states and other Arab states are, for the first time in a long time in decades, are aligning together to oppose this kind of imperialism. So I think that, again, we can say thanks to Iran for fostering a little bit of peace <laughs> from that perspective in the region. So that's kind of how I see it. I know, Carmel, how do you... Um, the Russians clearly are benefiting from the chaos, uh, without a doubt. Um, we shouldn't forget the reason why the Russians even got involved with Syria was because they don't have a warm water port. Uh, for the majority of the year, their oceans or their seas are frozen. So they need access to the west through the Mediterranean, and they need those naval bases in Syria. So they're benefiting from that perspective as well. From a economic uh, perspective, they're benefiting because who else is buying Russian military equipment? Um, the uh, Middle East countries are buying from America or Europe. Uh, you have much of Asia buying either from China or from America or Europe. The only folks right now that are only that are buying Russian equipment are the Iranians. So it's beneficial to, you know, Putin and the Russian, you know, government to keep that situation going for their own economic benefit. Now, how long will that last? God knows, because right now Iran is under a money crunch. So when it may not be economically beneficial for the Russians to keep selling weapons and whatnot to the Iranians, they may pull out their support for, for the regime. Mm. You know, I'm gonna, I'm, what I'm wondering as you're both answering the question is, are we are we just watching the continuing battle between Shiite and Sunni that's been going on for thousands of years at, at play? I mean, I'm leaving the Kurds out for a minute because, like a lot of other minority groups in the Middle East, they're just they're kind of getting pushed around quite a bit. But Shiites primarily represented in Iran, and then we got the Sunnis primarily represented by Iraq, by the Sauds and others. Are, are we just engaged in a continuing holy war that there's no way out of this? I, you know, I'm a little bit of a political science geek, so I'm going to answer this a little bit differently. Maybe I think we're seeing the result of a failed Sykes-Pico agreement from, you know, 100 years ago. We're, we're seeing the, the failed result of the Europeans coming in and carving up the map in the way that benefited them 100 years ago. So I, 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 that's how I see it. But maybe Carmel's a um, I, I, There is an aspect of this Shiite-Sunni conflict that's been going on for centuries. Um, but on the flip side, I think it's more of this Iranian regime. If you take a look at Iraq, for, exist for example, right now, um, there's a lot 
large segment of Iraq and Iraqi people that are Shiite. Uh, for example, uh, cities of Karbala, Najaf, those Iraqis are Shiite. But in recent months, we've seen them protesting in the streets against the Iranian regime, which is also Shiite. They're saying, we are Iraqi. We may have the same religious, share the same religious dogma of the Iranians and the Iranian regime, but we don't like that regime. It's repressive. It's radical. Um, it's taking away our economic opportunities. So that aspect of them aligning themselves with Iran, I think, is limited because they see themselves as Iraqi first and Shiite second. So their beef is with the totalitarianism and the repression from the Iranian regime. And they say, we don't want any of that. We're seeing how the regime is treating its own people and we are proud Iraqis. Or we are proud Lebanese. There's a lot of Shiite Lebanese as well. And they're protesting in the streets against the Iranian regime because it's kind of taken over Lebanon politically through Hezbollah. Um, so there may not be that kind of Shiite-Sunni alliance because of the nature of the Iranian regime and what it's doing in these different areas. Um, and eventually, you know, the, the masses may prevail. Um, but... There's definitely that aspect of Shiite-Sunni, um, you know, conflict. And if Iran decides to shut down the Strait of Hormuz and choke the world's oil supply, what happens? I hate to think about it, too, right? I mean, there's one thing if, if Iran attacks Israel. That, that's going to, obviously, the United States and others would come to defend Israel. But if Iran shuts off the Straits of Hormuz to cause global economic meltdown, who responds? And I mean, that this is the kind of stuff that I sit up like, oh, yeah, I, I just want to live a normal life. I don't want to have to deal with any of this. I don't want to know the difference between a Sunni and a Shiite and a Kurd. I don't want to know what's going on in the Middle East. But the reality is it impacts the entire world. It does impact the entire world. I, I, I think we see, I, I mean, to, I think that's 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 war. <laughs> to me, I think that's 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 a, a whole new ball game if uh, they decide to take that that radical action. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of uh, of impossibility. I think that's something they could. They're not rational actors. I think um, if they did do that, uh, they would basically be putting a nail in their own coffins yeah. because the Europeans are very dependent on oil coming from the Gulf. And if the Europeans sense that Iran has gone apocalyptic and shut down the Straits of Hormuz, they are going to pull whatever kind of diplomatic... Uh, economic relations that they have with Iran. And right now, Europe and probably Russia are the only lifelines to the outside world that the regime has. And if they do shut down those Straits of Hormuz, you'll probably have the entire world go up against the regime. You know, I noticed the EU and, and Russia are still talking to the Iranian regime, but I noticed uh, recently China starting to stick its nose in. And I guess that's because as the third superpower, they, they sense something's afoot and they want to get involved in, in the game playing. Just curious what the Chinese are going to do, if anything. Uh, and I guess that remains to be seen. I what? So, yeah. um, China right now, from my perspective, is going through their own economic problems. I think the last thing they want to do is become belligerent to the United States on issues of Iran. Um, so they're also frightened of what the consequences may come of backing this Iranian regime. So China's kind of... Um, it's an enigma right now, but I don't think they want to overplay their hand. Mm, can, can we can we just bring it back real quick? We actually have to go to commercial. But you've got you've got gay pride in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Yes, you don't yeah. want to lose that. Have you been okay. to gay pride in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem. Yeah, but I I have had met many Israeli men. See, I'll just say I'll go. leave it at that. We'll That's bring it back to LGBT going. reality, <laughs> gang. We've got to cut it off. Uh, I want to thank Dylan Hosier and Carmine Mohamed for coming in. Hope you'll come back and thank we can you. talk about this as things unfold. When we come back, we'll be talking to Dr. Ken Howard about suicidal ideation and dealing with it in the LGBT community here on Channel Q. Odyssey is 
giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. That's the Smashing Pumpkins singing today, one of many songs written about suicide. And we are joined today by West Hollywood gay therapist Ken Howard. Been on the show a couple times. Welcome back, Ken. Thank you. Good to have you back on the show once again. Uh, Ken, I, I, the reason I asked you to come on, uh, Silvio Horta, who was the creator of Ugly Betty, and a friend of mine, and I think a friend to so many in, in the greater Los Angeles, New York communities, sadly committed suicide last week. And it just it just prompted uh, another discussion in our community about why, why again, another suicide. And so I thought we'd bring you on to start to talk about these oh, issues. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, as a psychotherapist for many years, that's probably the hottest word, you know, for a clinician is suicidality. You know, I started with somebody the other day who had had three suicide attempts uh, as a gay male youth in his late teens, you know, three in a row between ages 15 and 17 and all through different means and fortunately was somehow rescued all three times. But you know, he talked about how that was in response to anti-gay pressures that he felt, you know, an unaccepting family, being in the closet. You know, he had a lot of the classic Ricks factors. And once he got past the, the third attempt, you know, as Dorothy Parker said, you know, you might as well live. And uh, <laughs> in, in the, her poem about suicide. So, um, you know, he kind of lived to tell the tale and talked about that, you know, as an adult and another guy um you know who had an attempt uh after a sexual assault and um being raised in a physically abusive family so you know we have these risk factors but what is puzzling and very concerning sometimes is we hear about the suicides of people who we don't know about obvious risk factors sometimes we know that you know they had a history of depression or they had a history of substance abuse of some kind which you know are known risk factors other times we don't know the reason and we're left puzzled of we're just saying you know what happened and that happens a lot on these cases that we hear about on Facebook of you know so and so has passed away and we figure out, you know, if it's not, if then we're not talking about a car accident they had or something, people are left to presume that it was suicide and there's some kind of shame or embarrassment about that fact. And then we, we just don't know what was going on with them. It's probably different reasons for different people that we hear about. Yeah, you know, you and I come from a generation where dealing with death and dying was a daily thing for uh, our generation around HIV and AIDS. But yeah. we don't really hear about death by AIDS anymore, not to the degree that we did in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Now it's death by crystal meth or fentanyl uh, or suicide. Those yeah. seem to be the, the big three that are going on. And that's, you know, suicide is the leading cause of death for young people. And, um, you know, as a public, as a community, Really, as a nation, we say, okay, what do we do about that? Yeah, and that I guess that's the question is, I think for so many of us, we, we think, well, if I, if I knew something was going on, I would have done something to intervene. I, I would have, I don't know, taken him for dinner or, or played watchtower and stood by his <laughs> side or, or prevented her from spending time alone or whatever it would be. I, I mean, I, I think we all selfishly, and I include myself, don't want that to happen and don't maybe don't understand the pain that somebody is experiencing that would drive them to self-elimination. But there's yeah. a lesson in that, too. I mean, stop taking people for granted, right? right. Appreciate everybody's life. Mm. I mean, when you take somebody's life for granted, that's when you start to neglect those signs of suicide. And then when it happens, you go, oh, boy, I wish I would have. But if you paid attention and you really focused and yeah. you really gave the person that mutual respect, then maybe it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, Jason brings up some good points. Are there signs that, that someone should be on the lookout yeah, for a family member or a friend? You know, kind of these these classic signs. Um, you know, the Trevor Project uh, online talks about. You know, do you know someone in certain feeling states? You know, um, do you know someone who's felt unimportant, trapped, hopeless, overwhelmed? 
unmotivated, alone. You know, isolation is a huge issue, and isolation is just a big social topic right now for for so many different kinds of people: the elderly, for LGBT youth, um, many adults, being irritable or impulsive. You know, we don't think of those always as signs of suicidal risk, but they are. Mm. I, I think even isolation. The, the one completed suicide that I had an active client in my 28-year career was somebody who wasn't necessarily depressed. He was just very, very isolated. And 90% of people statistically give some kind of warning. 10% do not. And the one I worked with was the, one of the 10% who covered his tracks very, very carefully. And that means somebody's very clear in their intent. You talked about the Trevor Project, which is one uh, community organization that deals with suicide. You have a website, too, though, right? I do. What's, what's um, your website? You know, and, and that's one of the things also about the factors is access, you know, access to mental health care, access to help. GayTherapyLA.com is me for guys in L.A. and also all over the country when I work uh, on the phone or, or, you know, via Skype or FaceTime, and even all over the world, really, at this point, you know, as a gay men's specialist therapist you know so um there's online blogs and supportive articles you can find 24 hours a day on gaytherapyla.com but there's no substitute for the interpersonal opportunity to process your feelings yeah and to talk about even talk about feeling suicidal Yes. Thank you for that reminder. Uh, so if you're home and listening and you're one of these people thinking about this stuff, reach out. We're reaching out to you as well. Yeah, uh, you have so many people that love you. We don't want to lose you. Ken, thanks for coming back again, as always. Gang, when we come back, we'll be talking to women about the Women's March coming up next Saturday. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Right? We know Brittany, right, Jay? That's a flashback for me. (laughs) Oh, my God. Here, I thought it was you. (laughs) When I was seven years older. No. (laughs) No, classic song, though. I was jamming out to that when I was pulling it up. (laughs) I love Brittany Spears. Yeah, Brittany's amazing. We've actually got one of her dancers coming on the show later to talk about the Australian wildfire. So maybe we'll get a little Brittany dirt out of him. We'll we'll see. (laughs) Gang, here's what's coming up. Uh, Next Saturday, uh, which is January the 18th, uh, is the fourth annual Women's March that will be occurring uh, all over the country. Uh, of course, this uh, initially got started as a response to the election of Donald Trump when women and their male allies were fearful about uh, what a Trump administration would mean for gender equality, for uh, issues around equity, um, obviously the right to choose and abortion, all of those issues they felt would be at risk. And guess what? It's worse than they feared because <laughs> it's just been a hellacious three and a half years with the elevation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court uh, with uh, recent decisions. It looks like they're trying to put Roe versus Wade before the Supreme Court to either try to strike it down or limit it further. And I, you know, I think the right to choose gets... Uh, gets uh, taken apart sliver by sliver rather than one final knockout. But this is why elections matter, gang. That's why they matter. So I imagine that's why the women's marches are going to continue. And uh, we're very pleased that we have uh, Emiliana Guanetta. If I said her name correctly, she's going to correct me in a second. I'm going to add her to the line now. Emiliana, do we have you on the phone? Yes, I'm on the phone, Emiliana. Hi, Emiliana. Tell me your last name. I think I mispronounced it. Emiliana Guereca. Okay, yeah, I wasn't even close. <laughs> wasn't close even enough, close. right? No. <laughs> I, said, I think I said a Brazilian soft drink, I think uh, is what I said. I don't think I was even close. <laughs> Emiliana, it's so nice to have you on the show. I was just telling the listeners that this coming, uh, I'm sorry, next Saturday, the 18th, is the fourth anniversary of the Women's March. And uh, is it necessary? And that's, I guess, the first question we'll pose to you. Uh, is it necessary to continue these marches? And if so, why? Oh, my goodness. It's absolutely necessary. Um, Women's rights are under attack. Um, We've moved backwards instead of forward. We it's 2020 and women are still not explicitly recognized as being equal in the U.S. Constitution. So, yes, 
they are necessary. Well, the Equal Rights Amendment, I, I know, has been battling back and forth since the 70s. And it looks like with the recent uh, elections in the state of Virginia, that Virginia may become the deciding state to finally give the Equal Rights Amendment the two-thirds majority it needs to become an amendment to the Constitution. Is that what you're hearing or from the circles that- you run in? So that is what we um, want to happen, although we now have states um, fighting that. Um, We now have Alabama and we have different states fighting and saying that the Equal Rights Amendment statute of limitations has expired. Therefore, it is non-valid. Therefore, having the last state ratify it um, is not valid and want us to start the process again. Mm. Mm. That would be Um, terrible. On top of that, we... Yes, correct. On top of that, we have abortion bans across the country. So there's a reproductive rights uh, are under attack. We have, you know, um, two very conservative Supreme Court justices with lifetime appointments that don't believe that Roe versus Wade is is the uh, the law of the land. And so, um, you know, the Violence Against Women Act is on hold, sitting to be passed again. So women are still, we're still fighting um, for equality. You know, on on the right to choose, Roe versus Wade has been in place since 1973, a very long time, and, and it's always, the political center has always upheld it, even with Republicans like Sandra Day O'Connor and, and uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy while they were on the Supreme Court. But with the recent elevation of two uh, Trump justices onto the Supreme Court, the four liberals on the left would have to rely on the Chief Justice, John Roberts, to join them in order to try to do what's called stare decisis, meaning upholding the past decisions of the court and upholding Roe. You have any hope that uh, the Chief Justice will join the four liberals in holding Roe up? Our hope is that, yes, our hope is that they will. However, again, it's a fight because we have different states um, putting forth um, abortion bans. And so we are hoping that, yes, that Justice Roberts will um, uphold the law. But again, it's not a given for us since it it is a continuous fight. Yeah. I think one of the greatest uh, things that's happened in the recent uh, couple of years was the blue wave that happened in 2018, uh, giving us a new Speaker of the House, uh, that being Nancy Pelosi from San Francisco as the, the new Speaker of the Congress. And she's had that role before, but I got to tell you, I think she is the the one thing standing between Trump and complete and total authoritarianism. She she is safeguarding the Constitution for all Americans, uh, and uh, it just shows what, what happens when you give a woman uh, a powerful post like Speaker of the House. Uh, what what can be done with a true leader like Nancy Pelosi? Correct. And there is a true balance. I mean, she's holding the line before chaos. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's right. You know, we, we've got, um, it, it's uh, interesting to me, uh, of course, not all women support the right to choose, and, and, and not all women support Nancy Pelosi, but I think what we have seen uh, across the country is a historic realignment between women in the suburbs, a lot of moderate women, possibly Republican, Independent, or Democrat, who do care about the right to choose and who do oppose the Trump administration that seem to be uh, voting blue and helping elect more women into Congress? We are hoping that that continues. Um, we are hoping that women see that, um, listen, if you don't want an abortion, don't have an abortion, period. Just people will choose. But ha- being the right, having the right to choose is just that. You know, if you don't believe you would ever have an abortion, that is fine. That is your body and that is what we fight for we fight for being able to have the right to choose right if and they, that's not a that's you know body autonomy is should not be a partisan issue reproductive rights should not be a partisan issue emiliana do you have a little more time we got to go to a quick commercial break can we come back and then talk to you a little bit about the la march which i think is happening january 18th you can tell our listeners what's happening here in los angeles after the commercial absolutely all right gang. Stand, stand tight gang we'll be right back after this break thanks for tuning in to channel q 
That's Sia singing The Greatest, of course, uh, a song dedicated to women's equality and the women's marches. And we are on the phone with Emiliana Goreca. How did I do? Emiliana, did I say it right? Yes, okay. Emiliana I, Oh, yes. yes, I got, I got it right. Sounded good, John. I, I didn't do bad. I You're just a pro now. Got a, yes, I got it out there. <laughs> uh, Emiliana, you, what, do you, what is your role at the Women's March? You're in communications, or what, what do you do for the March? I am founder of Women's March Los Angeles. I am oh, now my president God. of the organization. Oh, I, yes. I am so embarrassed that I didn't know that. Not only did I screw up your name, I didn't even know your title. But It deserves a round of applause. A round of applause there for that, the founder of the L.A. Women's March. Well, I it's have activism. We're all founders. <laughs> I have been there for the last three years. I go every year, and I plan on going again this year. It'd be my fourth year at the Women's March. But tell us a little bit about the march in Los Angeles, and maybe then about marches happening all over the country. Okay, so our march is scheduled um, uh, January eighteenth. Um, we're asking people to gather at nine a.m. in downtown Los Angeles at Persian Square gather at nine for a short program to start um, a Tongva blessing and we march at 10 for programming at City Hall. The march itself is 1.2 miles. We expect about a half a million people. I think we are now the largest public event in Los Angeles. Um, There are marches across the country on January 18th. Website to go to is womensmarchfoundation.org. Enter your zip code and you can find a local march to participate in. I think women's voices need to be heard throughout 2020. It's an important year for women. So come out, march with us Saturday, January 18th, gather at 9, march at 10 with programming from 11 to 2. We will have political speakers, we will have music, food, and all around Civic Engagement Day. That's awesome. Does does a march have a, a theme or a slogan or anything this year about being an election year? Absolutely. We're calling it Women Rising. We are um, Women Rising in 2020. We, as women, need to raise our voices to demand that the next president of the United States have a clear agenda to advance, support, protect women's rights. And women rising is our is our tagline. That's awesome. So I, I have to ask because I, I like to get a little a little bit of personal information on my guests when they come on. And normally I do it when you're in studio. You know, I can use visual cues to figure stuff out. But I have to do you over by voice alone. And Emiliana Greca uh, is yes. a, a name of what heritage or ethnicity? So I am uh, Mexican. Um, I immigrated to the United States when I was 10 years old. I um, come from a huge family. I grew up in Chicago. Um, I have uh, lived in, in Los Angeles now since 2002. Um, I moved out from Chicago to Los Angeles, but I am part of a huge family. I come from, I'm one of 13 kids. We are Mexican. Um, my entire family lives in Chicago. Well, that is amazing. I am an old-fashioned Mexican-American in Los Angeles. I was born and raised here. Uh, my family goes back all the way to when Los Angeles was part of old Mexico. That's how long we've been in this wow. part this part of the world. And I bet on a day like today, you're glad you're not in Chicago where it's, God knows, negative 14 or something crazy like that in, in sunny right. Los Angeles. Right. <laughs> I, I'm always amazed when the women in Chicago march and I'm complaining in Los Angeles of like, oh, it's going to be 50 and it may be windy. <laughs> um, these women really, really, I mean, they go out and they're marching on January 18th and they're expecting like negative 10. Oh, my goodness. God bless the women and men who will march with them on uh, yes. in negative 10 weather. But I imagine this is happening in New York and possibly Miami and Houston, Dallas, in Denver, San Francisco, Los Angeles, all the great cities of the nation. I assume this is happening. Yes? Definitely. In D.C., New York, um, San Francisco, Miami, Los Angeles, Denver, for sure, Chicago, um, if we go into womensmarchfoundation.org, you're able to click a city and find your closest march to you. We do advise public transportation, public transportation, um, whether it's Metro in Los Angeles, Metro Link, 
Um, Lyft is also, will also be offering free rides to the march. So please carpool and, and, and pub, use public transportation. Really good point, because I know in the past when I have tried to get there, first of all, gang, if you take your car, you're going to get bottlenecked somewhere. And second, there's nowhere to park. So don't drive Correct. to the march. People are vicious out there. They are vicious. Protect I'm one car. of the worst offenders. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Uber, Lyft, or get on the subway uh, transportation and, and get there. Emiliana, I want to thank you for coming in and talking about uh, the Women's March. And again, that website, if people need more information for the march closest to them, is what? womensmarchfoundation.org enter your zip code or city and you will be able to find the closest march to you Um, the march has happened Saturday January 18th across the country wonderful well I will see you there I have my pink hat from last year I I still have it I can hardly wait to put it on and meet you all out in downtown Los Angeles Pershing Square yay thank you meet us at the march see you at the march we'll see you at the march Emiliana thank you so much gang when we come back we'll be talking about the fires in Australia uh, here on Channel Q men down under men at work oh my god Australia 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 what are we going to do about Australia gang I don't know if you're following what's going on Uh, 14 million acres on fire the size of the state of Delaware or all of New York City on fire. Um, 50 people perished. Uh, We are now estimating that a billion, that's a billion with a B, a billion animals have been lost. And you got to remember, Australia is home to some of the mammals and birds and insects that are found nowhere else on the planet you know everyone we of course know the cuddly marsupials like the koalas and the kangaroos and the platypus because as grade grade school kids we learned about those animals and of course the only place in the world you can find those are down under and uh, a billion of them lost and not to mention the birds and the insects and the reptiles all unable to flee and um I mean, I got into it with a Trumper the other day. He came up and said, well, you know, it's those arsonists that set these fires. They're all man-made. It's like, you people, science, it's not the arsonist. It's global warming. It's climate change. Australia is in a severe drought, more so than ever before. And without water, without rain, it's a tinderbox just waiting to go up. And yes, there were arsonists that were involved that set some of the fires. But a lot of them are now being perpetuated by thunderstorms and lightning, which is continuing the fires and continuing the blaze. So we've got 14 million acres that are... Already on a blaze, uh, a billion animals, including many animals that are being driven into extinction, and uh, people all over the world, from the Golden Globes, who I imagine the Oscars, uh, to our next guest, are all uh, jumping in to do something about it. And so I have got uh, two... Aussies, one I know very well, one I don't know at all, but I'm about to, uh, who've come in today to be with us. Got Zach Berzanis and Lockie Brownlee. Welcome, guys. Hey, John. Thanks so much for having us. Now, uh, let me just, you guys are both dancers. You're, Zach, you're a dancer with Brittany every now and then, or I was with Brittany for the last six years, and for the last um, show that never happened, Lockie and I were on that one. You are? Okay. All right. All right. So you guys are are both Aussie. Are are you from one of the big cities or more of the rural areas of Australia? I was born on the Gold Coast, um, which is a big, small town, about 500,000 when I was there. Um, It's probably close to a million now. But um, I lived in... Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne, so all over. Okay, all over the big cities. It seems like the, the part of the Australia that's on fire is primarily, although it's starting to impact the cities now, right? Are you following what's happening back home down under? Oh, yeah, you can't miss it, and I was just there, so I, I got to see it firsthand. T- tell people, we got, we're broadcasting 28 cities, people all over the country. Tell us what you observed or, or what's up. I mean, uh, when I first landed there, I thought it was an overcast day, and um, and I got out of the car and I looked down at my shadow, and around the shadow, the what was coloured is like red, and so that's an indication of the smoke that's in the in the skies. And the next day was kind of clear; it was a nice day. I went to the beach, but almost every day after that, it was it was dark, 
it looked overcast, but it's just clouds. And you can smell the smoke in the air. You can Ugh. taste it on certain days. Mm. And I have asthma. So, like, after three days, I was, like, starting to really feel it, um, as are um, most of the people there. Mm. It's horrific. The fires have, like, came almost into the city of Sydney. They were right oh up gosh. against Penrith and were encroaching on the outer suburbs. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, they're they're everywhere. They're up in Perth now. They're yeah, they've been in Queensland. They're in Tasmania. Mm. They're they're it's it's unprecedented and it's massive. Do I call you Lockhart or Lockie? What should I call? Lockie? Yeah, Lockie. I go by Lockie. 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 <laughs> uh, what part of Australia? So I'm from, from Tasmania. Oh, so oh. Tassie's a little island under Australia. Um, and yeah, it's about 500,000 people in the, the state of Tassie. Um, and we're very prone to bushfires down there because there's a lot of you know rural area and it has been just so dry. You know, we've been in a massive drought for most of last year. So, Tassie is oh, I mean, it's, they've got fires burning, but it's nothing this you know the size of the Sydney. Well, now they're mega fires. I don't know if you caught the news they're today, but together. some of the fires Merge. are now mm. merging, and mm. they're creating these mega fires that are creating their own weather systems. Yeah. They're yeah. creating thunderstorms, mm-hmm. which are creating lightning, mm-hmm. which are then igniting new it's fires. Yeah. It sounds like a version of Dante's Hell <laughs> going <laughs> on, right? It's horrible, and 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 people. It sounds like it. The fires have happened because people are doing all these relief efforts and, you know... Or they just happened. Or they just happened, but they've been going on for months and they're, they're going to continue yeah. to go on for months. Summer so it's just like, started. This, the hot weather's just really coming in Well, now. good point. It's the like, Southern Hemisphere, December, January, is summertime. It's mm-hmm. not cold and wintery mm-hmm. like it is here in the North, no, right? No. So there hasn't been rain there in so long. Yeah. And, of course, we being Southern Californians, we're, we're used to wildfires. That's part of our weather pattern, too, but it's nothing like what's happening in Australia. We've never seen anything like this either. Like, even Sydney summer is just a... T- it's a totally different experience. Like, you, if you look at, like, all my friends' Instagrams, you'll see them on the harbour, like, still doing their day-to-day, but it's like there's this sepia uh, filter over all their photos, and it's mm. it's not. It's just that's the colour. Like, it's 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 constant, and it's everywhere, and it's it's changed everybody's life. Yeah. yeah, you know, I your your animals, uh, people oh, in this I'm country, I've been crying and all over the day. world. We're so in sad. love with your animals. Yeah. There's no other place on the planet where they, you can find platypus and koalas and kangaroos and not to mention the exotic cockatoos and insects mm-hmm. and everything else that's there. Yeah. a billion. Mm-hmm. Oh, that species driven into extinction. They're possibly. even saying that it's many billions. It's it's it's. It's it's crazy, and the billion doesn't account kangaroos, platypus, bats, amphibians, or insects. They said 250 billion insects have gone, um, and that doesn't even count livestock as well. Like yeah. right. it's it's unimaginable. I, I watch videos every day of the koalas, and I'm just in my room crying almost every day because we grow up with these animals, and they're such a symbol of Australia mm. and. You know, I think we've all taken it for granted that we have these beautiful animals and now everyone's starting to go, oh my God, like, what have we done? Like, what's going on? Yeah. I I, I was telling the audience before you two walked in the room that I got in a fight with a Trumper this week because one of the Trumpers was saying, well, you know, it was arsonists that set those fires and that's the... I'm like, okay, granted, arsonists may have set some Mm. of the fires, Mm. but it is climate change Mm. and it is global warming that is causing this severe drought Drought. in Australia that makes it a tinderbox ready to go up. Yeah, Yeah. 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 And even the arsonist story is like... It's blown out of proportion. Yes, there's been arsonists and some of them have lit fires, but none have been related to the massive fires. Not that that makes it any better, but it's 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 just that whole political thing that's happened here in America is happening in Australia now. It's like people are sending disinformation out to separate us and it's it's just horrible that the world's come to this and it's spread everywhere. Right, right. Yeah. What are you guys doing? I know you're up to doing something to help with the relief efforts. What what are you two planning? Yeah, so uh, Zach and I are teaming up together to uh, do a, a dance class, charity dance class, uh, next weekend, next Sunday at the Playground Dance Studios on Melrose. Um, and we're, it's at 10.30 a.m. until 11.30, and it's for all people who have dance experience, who don't have dance experience, who are professionals, who aren't professionals, who, anyone who wants to move and to, to do a part in helping to raise some money for uh, what's going on. We're going to donate for two charities. We're going to donate to the Red Cross and also to Wires Wildlife Rescue. And, yeah, we just want everyone to, whoever's available, whoever's around, to come, maybe $20, donate at the door, Come have a little groove with us, and if you don't um, want to dance, just yeah, donate. Like, yeah, come and cheer yeah. us on, and it's it's going to be a fun, enjoyable day. Nothing serious, nothing 
you yeah. know. Not too many eight counts. Yeah. <laughs> Not too many <laughs> Not at all. But we, you know, we obviously feel so helpless being so far away and, you know, this is at least as much as we can do. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking more about Australia and Australian Relief Gang. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. That is The Voice, one of my favorite songs written about Down Under. Guys, we're in studio with Hockey. Uh, hockey. Lockie. <laughs> sorry, Lockie. I just play hockey. <laughs> Lockie Bradley <laughs> and Zach Brazanis, two, uh, two of our uh, guys from Down Under who are talking about Australia. And we were just chatting during the break about the prime minister, uh, that he was caught on the beach in Hawaii in the middle of all this cataclysm. Mm. Yeah, not a good look. Not a good look. <laughs> no, he, he slipped out for a, a holiday mid fire season well when when this was all going down and um and it was kind of secret but an australian i believe an australian tourist caught a photo of him catch you anywhere yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's a bit he's a bit tone deaf i I think so yeah and you were saying because i don't know enough about australian politics that he's an evangelical and doesn't believe in climate change i don't know what he is but he's he's a man of faith but um i don't know how much faith he really has. so does he He think that god did this or maybe that Uh, it was human cause (laughs) he he definitely doesn't think it's human cause Uh, therefore god must be doing Uh, something yeah yeah (laughs) must be all those gays at mardi gras must be (laughs) must be people have said that yeah yeah. they said you know we we gay marriage and now look what God has done. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do they really say that? There, there's a, this is crazy. Yeah, someone said that. Of course someone said that, like, in this day and age. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm sure it's a meme somewhere. That, that <laughs> is so nuts. You know, I, I was, uh, when, uh, lucky when you said you were from Tasmania, somebody like me, who's never been to Australia, I immediately thought of the Tasmanian of devil. Course, yes. Because as a kid, <laughs> that was the only introduction I had to Tasmania was this little cyclone of a cartoon character <laughs> that would terrorize Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. I mean, uh-huh. it's so funny. Yeah. And, and it's an actual breathing place. And so, was growing up in Tasmania because that's not Sydney. That, no, that's that's not. an outer outer lying area. <laughs> yeah. Growing up gay in a place uh, like Tasmania difficult. Oh my gosh! Of course, like yeah. I mean, I danced my whole life. I was you know came out of the womb dancing and prancing around the, the you know the, the halls of my school and my home. <laughs> so yes, absolutely, very hard. You know, not a lot of friends in at high school and school and primary school and dance was my escape you know being in the you studio. were strictly ballroom before there was a strictly ballroom <laughs> literally <laughs> one of my favorite that's Australian what movies yeah, by the way yes I'll be here all week thank you <laughs> but no it was very hard um, and yeah I obviously you know dance was my my saving grace it was you know it definitely took me away from those feelings and the bullies and yeah it was it was hard mm. but mm. came out of it stronger and Living my dreams, like 100% living every single dream I'd ever, you know, thought I'd be able to do. And yeah, I kind of just goes, are there a lot of uh, expats, (laughs) a lot of expat Australians in greater Los Angeles? I've been told there's like 50,000. Well, there are 50,000 of you. I don't know oh, if wow. that's correct, but it's it's some massive number, yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's, wow. A, there's a whole community of us, and like... We stick I've, together, too. Yeah. I've have, I've I, At some points in my life of living here, I've been here 17 years, I've had more Australian friends, of my friends from Australia here, than when I go yeah. home. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anyone back in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's wild. Everyone's over that, here. That is wild. What led you guys to think about doing something to get involved in the response to the fires? I've been just feeling sick about the whole thing and even leave, I was in Australia last week and leaving felt terrible. I was like, there's got to be something more I can do, you know, and I I, I was just sitting at home feeling sorry for myself and Lockie texted me and said, hey, do you want to join me and do a fundraiser for... um, for the bushfires and I was like absolutely like I was like I'll do anything I can mm-hmm. I was like can I go back and fight fires I'm like no I don't have any training you know I'm like can I knit like you know mittens for the, for the kangaroos and the koalas no, I'd have to learn how to knit so we'll do this something that we can good, do this is a good one yeah, yeah, I can yeah. Dance. this is yeah. a good one and you have an anonymous donor already gave you 10,000 that's fantastic yeah. that's yeah, wonderful it's amazing yes that the, is. the public have been really 
really generous and like you you look on Australia or if you go on Facebook and you know there's one comedian Celeste who's raised over 41 million it was yesterday and it's it's the biggest uh, fundraising campaign in history and she's a, an Australian comedian they're saying Celeste for PM now yes yeah. get rid of that Morrison fellow or oh, whoever he is yeah <laughs> he can go I back to Hawaii there were there were protests today on um, the government in in Australia and thousands tens of thousands of people showed up and yeah so i think there will definitely be change i'm hoping there's change i'm hoping this is what people you know people come to see the light and you know i've been getting i've been seeing friends and you know relatives and whatever that deny climate change and was getting angry and then i've started going at a more compassionate way and be like we just want a better environment like we just want a world that our kids can grow up and enjoy and be healthy in and like the is there anything wrong with that i think we all want the same thing right like even if climate change isn't real like if what we put forward just keeps the world clean what does it matter like good point Good point. So, of course, it is real. <laughs> if you believe in science, rather than God's revenge yeah. on Australia for gay pride or yeah. more Mardi Gras, <laughs> just crazy. The full pride. <laughs> uh, if there are people listening who are not in Los Angeles but they want to support two cute gay Aussie dancers <laughs> in their efforts, uh, where where would we send them to Instagram or? Yeah, so uh, go to our Instagrams, uh, which is mine is Lockie Brownlee, um, L O C K Y, not Lucky, L O C K Y Brownlee Brown. L-I-E. And not hockey either. And not, and hockey. not hockey. You will always be hockey to me, Lucky. That's a new nickname. <laughs> and then also Zach's. Mine is Zach Brazinas, which is my name. It's Z-A-C-B-R-A-Z-E-N-A-S. That's Z-A-C-B-R-A-Z, like Braz. E-N-A-S. We've gotten very good at putting our names in American accents, so everyone can understand. <laughs> I did that, didn't I? <laughs> but then uh, from there you will find um, a Facebook page that will be um, have all the information about the dance class, and if you're unable to make the dance class, we'll also have some links for you to be able to donate and and sh- you know show the, the charities that we'll be sending our money to. That, yeah. is, that is so awesome. I think the whole world is finally waking up, and whether they agree it's climate mm-hmm. change or not, good point. It doesn't really matter at this point. Put the fire out. Yeah. Yeah. We can debate yeah. it later. Yeah. yeah, just clean up the world. That's what, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, what, what's it going to harm? Yeah. What worries me is the disruption to the uh, ecological yeah. uh, uh, forest and, and savannas of Australia. I mean, loss of all those insects, although we would think they're just insects, no. that is the food supply totally... for the birds and the reptiles and the amphibians yeah. and all the way up the food chain. They yeah. say this will change the landscape forever. Yeah. Mm. It's it's yeah it's horrible so so painful gang we're coming to the end of a show I want to thank Zach and Lockie aka Hockey <laughs> for coming onto the show and sharing your efforts good luck guys thank you know you. I'm hoping so we much all get us. behind you and support you when we come back next week more about what's happening in our LGBT world here at home and around the globe thanks for tuning in to Channel Q